Welcome back to another edition of The Practice Squad. I'm your host, Adrian Corey, joined alongside, as always, by Rafi Safdie and Matt Cheneau. Sunday night, game got flexed into, uh, into primetime, and boy, did it deliver Cardinals Seahawks. I think that's the only logical place to start. There's a, uh, a common theme on Twitter. It's the Seahawks never play a normal game, and I, I think that was more than true Sunday night. Rafi, you build it as the best game of the year. Um, yeah. You had the DK play. You had the missed field goals. Cliff Kingsbury's idiotic decision-making. Classic Russ, some suspect Russ throws. I mean, that game had everything. Um, and it just – we'll get into it, but it shows how loaded that NFC West division is. So, first – Let's start there. Thoughts on uh, Sunday night's game, Cardinals-Seahawks. That was the best game of the year. That was, like, that was wild. That's all I'm going to say. Best game of the year. Hold on. I, I got to bring up a Rafi tweet because um, – <laughs> Oh, God, what did I say? I, I need something to – I need something to – drunk. All right, you said two days ago for the foreseeable future, NFC West is the oh, following yeah. coaches – Sean McVay, Kyle Shannon, Pete Carroll, Cliff Kingsbury. I don't remember a division with four coaches of this caliber. This is going to be one of the best divisions for years. I see no only facts in that statement. Do you disagree? By the way, when I say foreseeable future, that might not include Carroll because he's like 68. But yeah. This might be like one of my hotter takes, but is Cliff Kingsbury a good coach? I think he's a good coach. Yes, I love this offense because let me tell you what that was some of the mo- that was some of the worst clock management I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, and that over no, like that overtime, you first off, I don't have an issue kicking the field goal, but you kicked it on second down. You had two yeah. more downs, to- and they were getting an easy five or six a pop on that defense with Chase Edmonds, and the fact that you don't even bother to get it closer and then on top of that you mismanaged the field goal unit so bad that you had to ice your own kicker and keep yeah, in mind that Kyler was lost five yards it was a 36 yard field goal and Kyler ran five yards backwards backwards just to get to that uh, left hash yeah. I think that's so why Collinsworth said he wanted to do it because he didn't want to lose more yardage which I thought was just that's like, you can't just play not if you run the, so just, all right yeah. so what what run play would you possibly call that would lose you five yards i mean now obviously the only one that i can think of that would come to mind is running like a jet sweep or a uh pitch play but the jet sweep would be the only option considering they never run pitch plays from the shotgun so yeah if you just run it if you just run it straight at the line of scrimmage the worst you're gonna do is lose a yard now it's a 42 yard field goal yeah i mean so wasn't it a 46 yarder no it's 41 41 and so, you know, yeah, you're right. the, the winner was 46. They weren't getting pressure in the backfield all game either. Like, they, it was – Yeah, their defense is horrible. Was getting five, so, I think, I think Cliff Kingsbury isn't like um, – I think he's in the archetype of, of like, Shanahan or, or Lincoln go. Riley. Here we go with the whole Shanahan thing. But, but, uh, they're, 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 they're play designers and play but callers. I have, not I like, have serious – so, the one thing that I have noticed with – the Cardinals, and obviously it's been working for the first couple of weeks. They've been playing pretty decent, but there are points in the game where Kyler Murray just looks at DeAndre Hopkins and does the same thing Deshaun Watson does, where he just throws it to him. And, like, Hopkins is so good that he catches it. But I'm almost wondering now, this week was the first time I really saw them get, like, Christian Kirk involved outside of, like, uh, the play against Dallas where he, like, was wide open 
but any everybody was wide open against Dallas's defense. But I think in order for this team to take the next step, they're going to have to utilize somebody other than Hopkins. And maybe that is Chase Edmonds, but I don't think you can just keep throwing the ball to Hopkins. What are, I don't know what his average targets a game is, but I'd imagine it's close to 10 or 11. But I – because the defense just – I mean, Russ kind of handed them some points with the picks. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't know I, I just think that uh, – well, His one pick didn't wind up being points in the, in the, fir- in the first half, the DK play. What I'm saying – what I'm saying is that if Ross doesn't make those mistakes very easily, like if – like the pick on the goal line that led to the DK play that I'm sure you guys are going to talk about because you guys were like hyping that up to be the greatest play you've ever seen. No. But it was just an absurd athletic play. But if you think about it, if he doesn't throw a pick on the goal line there, that probably ends in a minimum of three points. And then that game at that point probably is put away because that's now – I would have made it like a three-score game, right? I mean, they're still five and two at the end of the day, though. Who? The Seahawks? No. I mean, the Cardinals, I mean. Yeah. I, I, think no, but, I think you're over. I mean, it I think they might not beat Seattle, but Seattle was undefeated. It would make sense that they needed a few – you know, no, but what I'm saying is that, boy. like, what I'm saying is that I think this game, in my opinion, was more about the Seahawks blowing some opportunities than it was the Cardinals playing, like, very well. I mean, I think the Cardinals were very good. Seattle's a gr- – I mean, they're a great team, though. Like, No, I, I mean, 100% they are. But I'm saying that I didn't necessarily, like – I didn't necessarily watch the Cardinals, and I'm like, wow, Cliff Kingsbury's come out with, like, an unbelievable game plan. I mean, I understand Seattle's off defense has been sort of, you know, horrendous, though. But I love Cliff Kingsbury's play calling. I mean, there's so many times where people are just wide open. I know the past three weeks they've faced maybe the worst three defenses in the league. But in general, I just love his play calling. And, and, and it's like it's so, like, it's so hard to defend because – he, it's so random sometimes, you know what I mean? Like he'll call like quarterback draws and then he'll take deep I mean, shots. To, to be fair, you're saying play. like, to be fair, you're saying he, you love his play calling and no, 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 not, played, not like he's not played. So, they've played some. They've played some really bad defenses. Like I think a majority of competent NFL teams could put up like the number. I mean, outside the Bills against the Jets, but like they've played the Cowboys defense, which is. So, which somehow is already the worst defense in the NFL and is going to be getting worse because they just decided that they're going to trade Everson Griffin and then cut a bunch of other players. They played the Jets. They've played – What they did what uh, they're supposed to. Washington. Yeah, like that's the like, thing. Like, like, I, what are they supposed to do, score 50? There, it's a, so it's a no-win situation in your eyes because if it's a close game, it's, oh, my God, Cliff had them in a close game. If they lose, it's even worse. But if they blow them out, it's, oh, they played a shitty defense. No, but I, I don't think you can say, like – I mean, obviously playing bad defenses like and putting up points is what you're supposed to do. But I'm saying I don't know if you can put Cliff Kingsbury in this elite of head coaches – well, like you're judging off of seven games in which. Well, two things. First of all, this game didn't change my opinion of Cliff Kingsbury. I've always been super, super high on Cliff Kingsbury. So I'm not making my take based off this game. And second of all, I wouldn't put him in the Shanahan or Carroll or McVeigh 
tier yet. But you just did. He's the, no, 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 he's the well, he's the worst one out of those four. I didn't rank those four in order. I just rated them as I just put them yeah. as a list of four coaches. Saying compared to the other four I, divisions. I'm saying as a cluster of coaches, I'd take that division over any division. Uh, I would argue, and I would argue the AFC East has. But they have Gase, just as, Yeah, but Gase is gone. So, and even the, I think the other well, three are so they have good. Gase. Gase has to drop. Yeah, I, do, I right love McDonald. I love Flores but, and Belichick. But, the goat. but they but also, they have, yeah, they also have Belichick. They have a weak link, though. They have a major weak link. But Belichick's so good, it makes up for how bad Gase is. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I could see looking that. Looking at the four mentality, the, the, the NFC West is definitely the best collection of head coaches. AFC West, you said? NFC West. Oh, NFC West. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't say Clint Kingsbury's in that mold yet, like in that tier. I would rate Kingsbury a tier below. He needs to do it for two years or three years for me to put him in that tier. I mean, they're the only division with two top five with Carroll and Shanahan. And then you have McVay. And by the way, McVay, a couple years ago, is regarded as, like, McVay's top ten. We need to do an episode where we just rank our coaches because I feel like it pops up often. That would that'd be a great. I would. I'm so here for that. We'll do that next week. How about that? Book it. Regardless, I think that, tweets, I, I think that tweets facts though. Like uh, as a Niner fan, like I think our divisions. I think coaching is the most important thing in football. So I think our division is going to be very difficult for a long yeah, time. Making that division now, and putting aside our coaching. The, the Niners aren't making the playoffs right now, and they're four and three. And like we're looking back to what I'm we changed my mind, we're winning Super Bowl. Dude, that division is loaded. It is. It yeah, is- I mean that was that was pretty much known coming into the year that this was just going to be. Uh, I think I had, I forget what I had every team going, but like this was just a division where I was like, all right you're going to look and they're going to have like three playoff teams, but they're all just going to kind of cannibalize themselves. Cause they're just yeah, going to end up splitting. That was your word, cannibalize. Yeah. They're, I actually, they're just going to end up splitting Arizona. every game. I had Arizona, Seattle, and San Francisco all winning 11 or more, but obviously I had that horrendous Rams take. So yeah, I had, I had um, Seahawks winning it, Niners and Rams as wildcard teams and the Niners, uh, excuse me, not the Niners, the Cardinals missing the playoffs. Out of I mean, speaking, speaking of the Niners, Ravi, what did I tell you? I told what you, did you like tell this, I, we, I told you last week that uh, yeah, you were all I mean, worried about respect. you were you were all worried about this stretch coming up and I told you that this stretch it's not I, it's it's not impossible. I'm honestly shocked at what happened. Yeah, I'm not shocked in one, I'm just shocked that New England shocked at the fashion that you did it. Yeah, the fashion was yeah. crazy. New England's not good. I was reading an interesting article and it's true is New England every team had to deal with it, but one of the things that makes New England's system so effective is their off-season training program where they're able to bring in unheralded rookies or unheralded free agent, like, diamonds in the roughs to beautifully adapt to their system, and they lost out on this year, and they're just not adequately prepared for the Patriots system. It was kind of simple as that. I, I mean, think that, like that, that and the fact that, that – I think the fact that, a little goofy. Well, I was going to say that and the fact that, like, this last week was really the first week where I was like, wow, these weapons are bad. We're really bad. Do you guys think – I mean, this is just us. Cam Newton has not looked the same since he got COVID. I don't want to guess what's going on with him or make assumptions on his medical condition in any way. But the first two weeks, he looked really good. And 
granted, they played Miami and the Seahawks, who aren't great, but still, like, Denver and San Francisco, like, he, he looked terrible. Like, the, he looked like early 2019 Cam Newton. And I don't know what happened because I remember after week two, we were on the show saying, oh, do you think he's going to get 15-plus rushing touchdowns? Like, MVP Cam, like, in the conversation. That has quickly swirled down the drain ever since he got COVID. I mean, there's just a clear break that shows. I mean, you never. But don't, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can say the. What's the saying? Like the correlation is a causation. Yeah. But it's something I mean, interesting to me, though, that the Patriots. I, Belichick brushed it off, but he was like his normal gruff self. Kim Newton has thrown twice to the right side of the field since he returned. I just think it's like he doesn't throw I, right. Like I don't I just can. I just think it's a combination of the weapons stink and the defense stinks outside of Stephon Gilmore, and that's and even Stephon Gilmore. I've seen some stats that he's been good, but he hasn't been at the level he was last year. So, and I mean, look, we, we talked about it when we talked about him uh, earlier in the season that just losing so many of your best players to opt out says this is going to happen. And we just kind of bailed. We just kind of figured that Belichick was just so good that they're just going to continue to be really good. And they just talent wise, not there. Yeah. But I want to go back to the Seahawks Niners game or uh, Seahawks Cardinals game. Cause I want to talk about that DK play. Cause I know that's what you guys want to talk about. <laughs> I saw Aiden label it as the <laughs> most, most athletic. freakish athletic play that he's ever seen. And I'll tell you what, that wasn't even the number one most athletic play I saw from the weekend. What was the most athletic play? The catch the Ohio State receiver had in the back of the end zone. Yeah. was one. That was one of the more athletic plays I've ever seen. And you can't tell me otherwise. The, like uh, the DK I thing. I didn't see that, so. I, I mean, I'll take was, the word for it. Go look it up. It, it's incredible. Yeah, it's I one of the best I think it was a little hyperbole on the DK play, but it was pretty impressive. I said – out of 22, I think, 22 miles an hour. I said one of. I did not say the most. It was one of the most athletic plays I've ever seen. You realize if DK Metcalf was running at that speed near your elementary school, he'd be pulled over and been given a speeding ticket? No. All right, yeah, I mean, cool. true, but at, at the same time – Like in the office episode. At the same time, like <laughs> – I. I He's faster than Buda Baker. He's also taller, so his strides are longer. Yes, and he just like, ran him down. He looked the fa- it was he just, just ran him down. Watching that live, it was just your map. My your if your mouth didn't drop, I'd have some concerns. When well, you just yeah. see, you know, I mean, like, screen and you're like, oh wow, that's a that's a pick six. And I mean, yeah, so but Buda runs a what four five. Or four four. I don't know. They're both. It's, they're it's both, like upper. It's like, like upper four fours. Yeah, I think no, I looked it up. He ran a four three three. So like it logically makes sense that he chased him down. Oh you know, no! If, if you look at when you look at it, it's optically like he ran from one side of the field to the up. Well, I mean that. Well, if you also if you also take into account because I was seeing the uh, where they do like the little circles and they like redraw the play mm. on the field. If you looked at his angle, he had a better angle to where Buddha was going. And if he's faster, it wasn't as wide as people thought it. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like from the. I'm just trying to say. No, it, it wasn't. I'm not saying one it was of the like most, most athletic plays I've ever yeah. seen. And it's it's because how big he is, he's not supposed to run that. Like it, it looks disillusioning when you look at someone that big chasing him down. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but I, I don't think it was 
I mean, it was it was a cool I, I think play. He's it was a cool play. There. He ran really fast and he caught him, but I don't think it's but like I think one he of the shows best athletic plays that, I've ever that seen. athletic like every game to be honest. Like that was more striking, but there's been a lot of moments this year where I look at him and I'm just like, wow, he should not be able to move like that. Yeah. Like that, one of the most athletic plays I've seen. I, mean, I don't think like he, when he burned Gilmore, that cut was like I, illegal. I don't know. I disagree. I don't I don't I mean it was cool and I I was like, wow, he's really fast, and he just caught him, and that was impressive. But I, I'm not gonna say it's one of the most athletic plays I've ever seen. Buddha was shocked he got caught, though. He what did Buddha like, say on the mic? What? what was he saying? Buddha was like, "How did he catch me? Like, how did that happen?" He yeah, cuss words. But this is a family show. Negative. She know the most athletic play I saw that weekend was an Indiana quarterback uh, reaching for that the was lit. Two point conversion. That's was a that a low blow. blow? That was a low blow, man. Oh, you're. Oh. True. Yeah, I didn't know you're a Penn State fan. I mean, if we want to bring Kentucky into this, I mean, four. <laughs> yeah. com- four I, we don't need to bring Maryland. Yeah, we Maryland. All right, yeah, all right. I think that's that's where this has that's where this has to stop is when you when you mention Maryland football. We're in a rebuilding stage. Little Little Tua was Give terrible. He, Tua Junior was good. horrible. <laughs> I wanted to bring in Lance Legendre or however you pronounce his name. QB one. QB one. All right, but we mentioned the Patriots. We mentioned the losses that they had. I think that brings up to the next storyline. We kind of touched on it last week when we discussed the Buccaneers' defense, but the offense has been clicking. Most importantly, they added Antonio Brown. I patted myself on the back multiple times when that signing was announced because on our show on Thursday, I said the Buccaneers would be the sleeper team, and no one was talking about it because of Brown's connections to um, Brady and his Florida connections. But – Buccaneers dropped 45. The defense continues to show that it's a top three in the league. Are the Buccaneers a top three Super Bowl favorite? Or are they the Super Bowl favorite right now? I'm that's a, that's going a tough to question. say they are top three. Um, because, you know, in the AFC, I think, like, you have the – Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers, I think, are, and, you know, the Titans, but only one of them can come out. The NFC, I, I think they are the best day of, uh, NFC team at this moment. They're I'd the most say. complete, for sure. The way yeah. they everything's been shocker every, ever since Brady got there. I mean, every single stage, every single, like, part of their team has been elevated. Not, like, by him, but just, like, their play. Like, they well, have their defense like, was really good last year. There was like, their defense was like, really the good. Yeah, that was that was the thing that I think a lot of people overlooked was that yeah they uh, overlooked how good that defense was last but year. Their entire but their secondary was kind of the issue last year. Like their but I loved Winfield coming out. Like I, I gave they, their secondary was a little suspect, but uh, but, it, but it improved down the final like four to five games. Like guys like Carlton Davis won that, and now their play has just continued to skyrocket. Winfield, even Mike Edwards is playing really well, and then. Levante David, Devin White, like they have, and then the Jamel, Jamel Dean is a legit shutdown corner. That guy, I've seen him put up some crazy, uh, like coverage numbers against um, some really good wide receivers. Yeah, but and their O line's playing really well. I mean, you said that's probably the biggest. Yeah, like if if you if you if you go if you go by. PFF grading. He's Jamel Dean's the second highest graded corner, and Carlton Davis is thirteen. They're so really good. 
Yeah, very good. Levante yeah. David, I was reading an article on the shoes. Levante David may end up being one of the more underrated players in NFL history. With he reminds me a bit of London Fletcher, where he's like just out of the Pro Bowl every year, so he's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame, obviously. Levante but like he, he could easily have been in like six Pro Bowls by now. Yeah. It's, it's tough because the way they do the Pro Bowl voting, Pro Bowl. he's classified He's classified as an outside linebacker, but the outside yeah. linebackers they vote for are the pass rushing guys. So he never gets the votes because he doesn't rush the passer, but he's great in coverage. Yeah. Um, they have him and Devin White. That's probably – is it the best, like, two linebackers in the league? For I mean, maybe. I, I, I guess you would have to put the Buccaneers near the top because of their all-around team. But, I mean, if – and I get Rafi's logic of saying that they're, like, three of the top teams are in one side of the uh, league and only one can come out. But I would still say the top three contenders are still in the AFC. I think the I AFC still think, is definitely stronger than the NFC, I, for sure. It's like what – if they can just stop – giving up a ton of points, then I would put them above the Bucks. personally. What team was that? Titans. Oh. But their, defense isn't, their defense has not been good. Their Titan, the Titans' defense has kind of been a disappointment. Very yeah. much so. Like, there are a but lot if they, on But if they can figure it out like that, because the Steelers game yesterday – if they could have just figured out how to stop them like once or twice and not given, like, not given up twenty-seven points in the first half, then that game would have turned out a lot different because they played really well in the second half. Yeah. Um, but you, know, about the- you have the Bucks as let's say that are, are the Bucks the NFC favorite to appear in the Super Bowl? Probably. Yeah. I would rate them first too. I I, I think I would rate it like. Tampa, Seattle, and then Green Bay. Uh, yeah, I was trying to find a different team than Green Bay, but I guess I'll have to say Green Bay. Because, like, I guess the common thing is their defense is just so much better than any of the defenses in the NFC right now. I mean, the Packers defense yeah. is – I would say I would love to see another uh, Tampa Packers rematch for the fact that uh, hopefully Rodgers doesn't give the Bucks two short fields to score on. And I think that game turns out differently because the Packers defense has been pretty solid as a whole. The, that coverage unit, Jair Alexander, is a stud. And so if you just line him up on whoever the best receiver is, they're taken out of the game right there. And the rest of the defense has been playing solid. They got to figure out their run defense, but probably where the Bucks have everybody. I mean, you mentioned like who to put like when you're saying like let's say this rematch. The Buccaneers are not going to have Mike Evans, Godwin, and Antonio Brown. Pretty good. That is absurdity. Pretty Bruce good. Evans does not want Antonio Brown on the team at all. But Why are you saying Tom, that? Tom, oh what? Why are you saying? Oh, because he said he needs. That I mean, work. that's that's a concession you would have. You would make them in a Super Bowl. It's it's like I hate this guy so much, but if I win a Super Bowl by adding him to my team, like you're gonna do it. I mean, I'm pretty sure Bruce they, they probably have the most complete roster in the league right now. Yeah, he yeah. is under the Ravens, but the Ravens the don't Ravens, have the offense weapons. The offense has not been. 
I would have loved to see Antonio Brown on the Ravens. I'm sorry. Props, props to Aiden for calling that out. By the way, yeah, that was, that's that seemed like such a uh, long shot. Pick looking back at it of just the fact that Tampa the entire offseason has just been adding all the guys that have been like first round picks that have been cut. Like it, it, they did what the Falcons did, but just with better players. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, um, when we were just, we were almost like brainstorming on the show, like live, what we were doing. I'm just saying, like, it made sense because it wasn't even that. It was more just the Brady Antonio Brown connection is like an odd relationship of sorts. Like they, like they both love each other. But Rafi, responding to you, I think I, Bruce Arians was very vocal against signing him in March. No, oh, really? It's changed since then, really, to, for him to be like, oh, we need him now. Like they haven't lost anyone. Like, Godwin's been in and out, I get it. But, like, there wasn't, like, a, oh, now we might actually need him. Back to his time in Pittsburgh, I'm sure he had some run-ins with A.B. And, I mean, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about Tom that. Brady wants someone, he's going to get him. Um, it just makes that team that much better. I'm not an Antonio Brown as a person fan, but as a football player, he's one of the, as I said, one of the best receivers I've ever seen. It, it just makes that team that much more loaded. Um, Mike Evans seems like he's still going to be the odd man out. Um, his style of play, his strengths do not fit with Brady, but Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin, man, just them by themselves with the threat of Mike Evans. And then you even got Gronk and because of four Scotty Miller. And Gronk hasn't even looked as bad as I thought Gronk would look. No, he, he looked he looked bad early, and he's starting to get back into, like, the football shape. He doesn't look like the Frankenstein he was his final year in New England. Uh, no, know? but, like, I mean, look, he's had – He's not how many, how many injuries what he was. How many injuries has he had? And he's, you know, he's got he's some still, wear and tear on yeah. his body. He's not going to be, you know, Gronk. I'm as saying, I, I didn't think he'd be this good. Like, I thought he'd, he'd be worse. Yeah. I, I was shot his final year in New England. Especially, especially after the whole blocking tight end uh, Yeah, the first thing. two weeks, I'm like, oh, my prediction that Gronk is going to stink is coming true. But the last couple of weeks, have gotten him more involved. He's looked better. And as you said, I'm sure just with the such a small offseason and probably – realistically I should have realized like you you can't judge him based on the first couple of weeks because that's almost his like preseason his like extended training camp to get ready but um speaking of looking better than any of us realized I think there was three big storylines there was obviously that Seahawks Niners game there was the Bucks continued dominance and then Justin Herbert um four total touchdowns Chargers close game with the Jaguars but pulled away due to really him He's making all the throws. We knew we knew the deep ball. Um, not even, yeah, I guess the deep ball capabilities is the worst to say would always be there, and he's demonstrating that. But he looks confident throwing across the middle short. Um, he looks like the complete package. And I saw a tweet from me and Rafi's guy, especially Brett Coleman. You cannot tell me, he said, that Oregon Justin Herbert and Chargers Justin Herbert is the same player because they are not the same player at all. This and yes. same the film I watched of Justin Herbert from Oregon looks nothing like it does now. I was so wrong about that. Justin Herbert is legit and is truly going to be a young star quarterback in this league. So dude, I, I think this dude. is. I was wrong on him, but I I will say the one caveat that I had was when I watched him, I was like, all right, the, he will be successful if he goes into a Bruce Arians type system where they are throwing the ball down the field. And when I watched the Chargers, I didn't necessarily think that that was their philosophy last year. And now 
it might have been, and it might have just been Phil Rivers was incapable of doing it, but they are this is where your talent evaluation and you're saying, like, all right, this guy is good when he is doing X, Y, and Z, and Herbert is at his best when he's throwing it down the field and yep. he looks good. Like the throw to Guyton was an absolute But dime. here's my thing. We knew that, right? I think we said that. And he's doing what we expect him to be good at, but he's taken such strides at every other aspect of the game, too. Like he hasn't he made really like the boneheaded as many boneheaded throws as he did at Oregon. His decision making's been superb, except for I think a couple of really bad decisions in the Tampa game. But and as a rookie, you expect him to make a few. Yeah, and he hasn't. You know, and he's, that short and intermediate game where I think he struggled the most at Oregon, he looks great at, along with the the absolute star potential he has related to his deep ball. If if you asked me before the year if he started the entire year. I would have made a prediction that he'd throw 20 interceptions, honestly. That's not what I saw at Oregon. I did I mean, not that like might have been a really hot take. I did not he like all 16, he would have thrown a lot of – but he's shocked me with how good he's been. No, I, I, Again, the wow throws, he, he's always had it in like that doesn't shock me. But like yeah. the frequency in which he's doing it and how smart he's been is shocking. It's, it's, it's just the consistency. It was yeah. – he had – there were times where you would watch and you're like, all right, this is, you know, top five – number one pick potential. And then there was a lot of times more frequently than not, you're just watching. It's like, ah, like I kind of want more. And he's putting the consistency and everything together. And this is why he looks so good. This, I just want to expose myself. Uh, I rated him as a late first round pick in general. My quarterback rankings are just disgraceful from the past five years, but I mean, yeah. to be fair there, I mean, no, this isn't look. This isn't an exact science, and this is where I hate when teams, uh, or when fans come out. It's like, oh, we should have drafted like you know X or this player over yeah, that player. Like and it's Deshaun like well, over Trubisky, for example. Like the one that Eagles fans always say. It's like, oh, we should have drafted DK over JJ Arcega Whiteside. It's like, yeah, obviously. Okay, like, well, if, that that one, in my opinion, is obvious. But but uh, DK had his concerns, like. Again, the three cone was so like so bad that it was hard to ignore. And he also people forget hurt his neck his last year of college, which I imagine is probably the bigger reason why he fell was medical reasons. But again, yeah, I, everyone watches DK on Sundays and goes, "Man, that guy's yeah. three cone sucks." Yeah, but well, to me that one was an obvious one, so I don't think that's a good example. But I, I understand, but no, 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 no. But the, the bigger Charlie point, second. the bigger point that I'm making is just that. If this was an exact science and everybody It'd knew who the good players were going to yeah. be, all the best players would be picked in the first round. And yeah, well, no we, shit. We would but. go along and be like, all right, like, you know, this is why, you know, it's not an exact science. It's just. Yeah, for sure. If you hit quarter, 60%, I'd say you'd be. In my quarterback well. prospecting, like throughout my draft history, I think Herbert's right now second worst. The only one that was worse was when I had Rosen as QB1 that year. And uh, I nailed I nailed that year. So I was, my worst uh, one, just to expose myself, I think, is probably Patrick Mahomes, who I rated as also a late first. But uh, look, the, the bigger point that I was making is just that I had like, Watson number one that year. All I knew is Trubisky was going to suck. Yeah, I think everyone. Knew. I mean, look, I, I didn't know. I, that. Think, I thought it was average. I, I like, think like the bigger point is just more so that I, for me, the I want to see Tua more now. Like watching Burrow and watching Herbert, I want to see Tua. Yeah, 
That's that, that'll be Tua next looks play. really good. That would be a really like it'd be they would. I don't know when's the last time we have seen three quarterback, three rookie quarterbacks all look really good. Hmm. Maybe the Lamar, Lamar. And he, nah, Booker. and even that one, I don't think anybody yeah. would have said after year one that uh, Lamar looked good. Lamar would look this good. Yeah, that, that was considered a really good quarterback class, though, wasn't it? Yeah, look historic. Yeah. Lamar, Baker, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Darnold, and well, another maybe thing, the we were talking here with Wentz, Goff, and uh, but Wentz oh, and Dak. didn't look good either. Yeah, no. Dak, Wentz. No, Wentz and, didn't look bad. Honestly, like I thought Wentz was good. Well, Goff was terrible though his rookie year. Yeah, yeah, Goff was yeah, but, horrible. Uh, maybe as good. This I know we we talked about it a little bit before we got started, but yeah, I, and I was we'll get. We'll we'll talk about it more when we do our head coaching rankings, but we got to talk about Anthony Lynn because uh, we have some splitting opinions, and I think a lot. I think honestly, I think majority of people around football have splitting opinions of him, but and I think it's just I don't know. We'll we'll get into it later, but we can talk about it now if you want. We talked about Justin Herbert, and should, I'll summarize for Chanel. Chanel's whole point was they have their quarterback, they have some pieces, despite some nagging injuries and some suspect offensive line playing whatnot. At what point do you think – essentially the question is, is Anthony Lynn really the – like do, they, do the Chargers need to move on from Anthony Lynn and get Justin Herbert a, a legit coach? I mean, and obviously people are going to bring up the injuries. They are missing a couple pieces, so like that definitely plays a part into it. But, I mean, look, like they've been in one, two, three, four – five all their games this year uh except for the uh jacks so five of their six games this year have been one score games and this was the same thing they went through last year it was uh i saw the standings it was if you flipped all the one score games they were 12 and four yeah and so the whole thought process was you just get a better quarterback in there which they have i don't think anybody can argue he's worse than philip rivers i don't think anybody's gonna make that argument if you are then i would love to hear your reasoning because you're wrong but like when I don't know. I just think it's it's interesting kind of topic to bring up because at some point this has to change for them. Like yeah. it just in order Personally, to in, like in order I, I to feel make like I'm living in Groundhog Day with the Chargers. Like I feel like it's the same thing for like seven or eight years where like every year they're just in really tight games and they usually lose them. And there was one year I think they went eight and two in one score games after like they went one and seven and like I'm making the numbers up but it was something like that like I feel like this is just a Chargers thing they get hurt they start bad they might make a little run at the end but they always end up like eight and eight because we brought up uh like potential head coaching jobs a couple weeks back and if this one opened up this has got to be top of the list like easy yeah for like sure. over over Houston, over Atlanta, over New York, like all of them. Like this is probably number one due to the fact that you don't have the issues of draft picks with Houston. You have your quarterback. The defense has pieces. It's just keeping them relatively healthy. the The only issue is the offensive line. That's the only thing. And the offensive line has its injuries. Like Trey Turner's out and Bulaga's out and whatnot. So you got to figure that out in the offseason. But I, like the roster itself is good, and so you fix the quarterback issue. So why do you keep losing one-score games? That's more so the question. Yeah, I think that um, 
Rafi said it really is true. The Chargers, like, throughout, like, my life, like, truly, like, since I started following football, the Chargers has always seen the team that have, like, some, like, devastating injury. Like, they're never fully healthy despite having the pieces. And as of late, it's that they can't win the close games. I'm – Anthony Lynn, I was saying when we were talking about it before the show started, Anthony Lynn seems to me, like, great players coach. Everyone seems to love him. He's a great motivator. He gets the most out of him. But some of his decision-making and X's and O's. Okay, I have a take here. Like you, you, I, I think it's like uh, a relatively decent comparison, and it's not because of a race thing. But yeah. I, he's probably budget Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Of like he's great around the players and everything Anthony Lynn's done, like for that organization and just for like public in general. And his story is incredible. But – it's just at what point can you point to all the one score games and just be like, all right, we can't just say, you know, oh, they got to get X, Y, or Z on the roster and they're good. Like, essentially, you have to point the finger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a take. I, I think that, I think that, like, I know we've talked about Rabel and how good he is. And, and I think you can, I brought up archetypes like Shanahan versus Carroll versus Belichick, whoever. I, I personally think that those coaches are not. I prefer to have like a really good X's and O's coach than a guy like Anthony Lynn who well, motivates. Because when you say he motivates like, the players, does that really work in a game as strategic as football? Like, well, yeah, I, I personally, I think that those like the just the leader coaches have a role. Like that's why Pete Carroll's been as successful as he has. The thing is, is you have to surround him with the really good X's and O's guys. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if the Chargers have been surrounded with the X's and O's guys. Or, or they need to have a quarterback like Wilson or Roethlisberger. And also, even then, like I think Carroll's a better X's and O's coach than Wynn or because I remember when Wilson first came up, I was thinking how smart Carroll was because he put Wilson in such a perfect offense for him for his skill set. But yeah, I, I agree overall. Yeah. Like I think I think that's where it comes in. If is if you're gonna have a like a Mike Tomlin type guy, who's like Mister Rah Rah, like you know, bring the team together, great coach. You got to surround him with the X's and O's guys. And I and I think it's really tough when you're that type of like head coach for people to say like you know how much do you actually know the X's and O's because I imagine they know a lot more than you know ninety percent of people do. And but it's just they're not really involved. Or you don't hear them involved with that type of stuff, so you don't really know. You know, like it's a lot easier to point to to Arizona and be like, he's involved, Kingsbury's involved with the offense, and Vance Joseph is the defense. And then, you know, you dust your hands, and you're like, those are their roles. Where yeah. with Anthony Lynn, he, you know, he could be involved. I would say with that both. it's, it's just, easier to be that type of guy if you have A, a quarterback, B, as you said, like surrounding coaches who take over the X's and those, or a great franchise. So, and a lot of talent. Like, so for example, with Tomlin, he has Roethlisberger and, like, a culture in Pittsburgh, like, and Carroll, maybe he's built the culture, and he has a great quarterback, but with L.A., I don't think you could just motivate that team to reach the heights that you want to reach, if that makes any sense. No, I, I think that's, like, makes perfect sense, but, and I think that's where you just start, you have to start with saying, like, all right, the one score games have been an issue. And at what point do we stop saying that it's a quarterback thing or it's a defense thing because they have the pieces and now it's just, you know, pure coaching. And I think you would rather figure, I mean, obviously that might not be answered this year and you might need another year to get there. But I think if you're 
goal is to maximize the quarterback, you might look to somebody who can get Herbert to another level. I don't know. And that's I think, a reason to not fire him, right? Because you don't want to give Herbert his second head coach in two years or his third head coach in four years or whatever the case may be. Fair, but at the same time, if you find – like if you can get the enemy in there, who I think is probably yeah. the top coach, yeah. if you can get him in there immediately and just be like, all right, like let's build, that's – And as you said, it's the most attractive job probably. So Easy. Not even – I don't even – like if that job got open, I don't think it would really be a question. Honestly, yeah. this was the first time I considered that that job may open up too. I don't think anyone's really talking about it. I think generally like our show may be the first to mention it, but if they don't make the playoffs or even like go around eight and eight, nine and seven, if they do that, I think they have, they should have a shot. But I, I think he's I think he's safe if they reach eight and eight because it's the Chargers. Yeah, I, like mediocrity is accepted. Not I don't know. Safe. That's that's going to be an interesting spot because they have a legit. Chance. I don't know, and and they probably won't fire him. I just think it. I just think it's an interesting like discussion to have, and it's an interesting like way to look at the one score games because you will look at this team. They fixed the quarterback. They fixed most things, and you're still losing one score games. Yeah, I think it goes back to the to the point that we talked about on another show is quarterbacks. When you get a really good quarterback, you have to maximize that four to five year window when he's still on his rookie contract, because that's when you can sign the pieces capable enough to run like the legit pieces before you have to drop the bag on that extension. And then all of a sudden you have a lot less wiggle room to sign pieces. So the Chargers, if Herbert is what we think he is, they're going to have like a four year window to maximize their team before they have to sign that extension. The second half of this year, looking at the schedule is really going to tell us something because they go uh, Broncos, Raiders, Dolphins, Jets, Bills, Pats, Falcons, Raiders, and then they close with Broncos, Chiefs. So you 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 got You get a mixed bag of everything. You get some really good. You get some bad, and then you get some like competitive teams in there, and you really get to see what is this team made of. But I don't know. I I just think that a lot of times. We just, I just think the one score games are an issue. And if they don't figure this out, then I think it might be a coaching thing. Yeah. Um, and last thing before we get into the tr- our trade deadline preview, St- we mentioned it briefly Steelers, Titans. Uh, Steelers won on a essentially a missed Goskowski field goal that would have forced overtime to remain the only undefeated team left in the league. My two key reactions from that game were something we already said with Titans defense has kind of been a letdown this year. Um, offense struggled in the first half, but look kind of like what we've been accustomed to. But my thing is, the Steelers don't fix something. They're going to get bit at the wrong time with their decision to just take second halves off. They build a big lead. It happened in the Eagles game. Um, happened this game. They've had some issues in the second half of maintaining the same – I don't want to say drive, but there's, they've had multiple games this year where the first half versus the second half is just stark difference, and that's not going not gonna to work come January. I would like to make my formal apology to Steelers fans. Hand up. I was wrong. At the same time. I could have told you that before the season started. At the same time, I completely agree because this game should not have been close. Like, no chance you go – what was it, 27 20, to 27? 27? I believe it was. 20, I, I, it was 20. It, was, it had to be 24 to 7 at halftime. There's no way that this should have been. It was 27 to 7 game. in the third. Like, just 
that's inexcusable in my opinion. Like if you if you're a top team and if you were like Super Bowl aspirations, you should your goal should be to like bury them and put them away and they just never did that. And again, Big Ben he looked all right for a little bit, but it got shaky there. That second half, they were not doing anything right, and he was one of the issues. He, he's kind of just getting by with the dink and dunk offense, to be honest. But it's been – it's it's. I mean, it works because you know, their guys just continue to get – like Deontay Johnson yeah, and Juju just year. continue to get open. Yeah. He has, an, he has an easy job. Just don't turn the ball over and get the ball to the playmakers. I really do think Deontay may be better than Juju. That's just like a random. Oh, he. I've been I hope so. Probably is. Yes, he's just got to stay healthy. Yeah. If Deontay is healthy, I think he's the number one receiver on the team. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of who's going to number one coverage. I mean, Juju looked much better than he has, but yeah. But I mean, like, look, Big Ben averaged five a pop, and he threw three picks. Like I, again, this game should have been. This game should have been All over. Right. The the picks were slightly misleading. One of his was his fault when 27-24, I would say about three minutes left. They're at the, in the red zone. All a field goal at least can the the Titans didn't touch it. And Ben forced it into triple coverage to Juju. That was his. One of the picks was literally the last play at the half. He just lobbed one up into the end zone and he got picked. So it really he had two picks that I guess you could put on him and one I think it bounced off Ebron's helmet and into the air so he really only had one bad decision so the, I just want to say he didn't look great this second half but the picks were a misleading statistic like that's not the reason I'm going to say oh he played poorly but yeah I think he's taking care of the ball pretty well this year that, yeah. he he's has doing o- over overall yeah and I I I missed the uh I forgot about the um like the Hail Mary one, but yeah. so really, the same, he had like two picks, two, but at the same time, I mean, the second half for him, they look great in the first half. They look like everything that people, you know, expect them to look as a team at six and oh, but you, you cannot blow leads like that and expect think, it not to come back and haunt you. I think they lose. How much do you guys think it was they played? Well, obviously, they played horribly, but how, how big of a deal do you think that is that they got? Is it just complacency, or did they really just get outplayed? The Titans, the Titans, I think. I mean, they they contained Derrick Henry, and then the second half, he Derrick Henry finally started to get some wiggle room. AJ Brown kind of exploded. Um, yeah, they had that one huge. Didn't he? The AJ Brown touchdown, touchdown where it was a poor poor. It wasn't really a poor throw by Tannehill. It arguably very well could have been picked. I forget who the linebacker was, and then Minka Fitzpatrick slipped, and that kind of turned the tides there. I wouldn't call it – the Eagles game, it seemed complacency. Like, if you guys remember the Steelers-Eagles game, that looked like – I think this was they are playing a good team and their offense kind of sputtered down the stretch and the Titans' offense kind of got back to what they're used to. But it's – one time it's, oh, maybe it's maybe it's just one time. But it, there definitely seems to be a little trend for me of the Steelers kind of yeah. getting – and that's been an issue with Tomlin, I think, this whole time. I, I wasn't a Tomlin. I thought Tomlin I, – I don't think I truly really re- – respected Mike Tomlin as a coach until what he did last year and realizing that he had to deal with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and keep those teams together maybe more respect I think but since freshman year I've been kind of like oh I'm not a Tomlin buyer but he's improved a lot but getting now finally getting to my point is the Steelers and 
friend of the show, Joey Goss, will tell you, the Steelers always seem to lose a couple of games each year to teams that they should definitely beat. And his whole point is Tomlin hasn't prepared for the games that they're underdogs or the good games and never has them adequately prepared for the games where they're supposed to win. And I just wonder if that's a thing. It might be good places. I don't know. But the second half – I really want to do the coaches ranking because uh, I'm just going to point out, if we did the coaches or anything, I think I'd have Tomlin much slower than you guys would. I mean, I'm not saying boys, you guys specifically. Have nah, that, that that guy, like I don't. My my concerns with them going into the year were never about coaching. It was just purely questions of of whether Big Ben could return to be like he. Obviously, he's better than Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that that was a question. It was just people when they talked about the Steelers automatically assumed that he was going to go back to the level he was before he had a major elbow surgery. And my question was, he's not going to be the same player because he's 37 and B and this is where I was wrong is like the defense last year played at such a high level that it was almost like, there's no way they play at this level again. Yeah. And to some degree they have this year, but I mean, and, and Big Ben probably has looked – and the combination of that and Big Ben looking a little bit better than I expected him to has the reason why, like, it makes my prediction look stupid. But I don't think – like, I would probably have Tomlin up near the, like, leaders and coaches because, again, like, he they, all they do is win. They just keep winning. Like, no yeah, matter I mean, what you, you – no matter what you put in front of them, they win. Have. Yeah. I mean, I have to give him credit. Like, I, I think that – as I said, I think coaching is the most important thing. So it's been said one over and over but again. I, I do agree with Aiden. Better. I do agree with Aiden from the standpoint that this eventually might come to haunt them in a couple games. And it might not be the regular season. It might be the playoffs. But it's – and we don't know if it's complacency or whatever, adjustments or who knows. But – Chanel having Wi-Fi issues today. Noted. Duly noted that your Wi-Fi stinks today, Chanel. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Raffi, Raffi thought it was him. It was not him. It's you. The, yeah, I don't know what it the is. Low, the low, the low budget of the six one zero podcast network continues to to harm this brilliant show. Um, real quick, um, trade deadline is election day on Tuesday. Everyone go vote. Um, couple of trades have already happened today, I believe. Um, Everson Griffin to the Lions, kind of random. Carlos Dunlap to the Seahawks. And then last week, we didn't even really discuss it, but um, Yannick went to the Ravens. Those have been like the three big trades that have happened um, so far. I want to hear your thoughts on those. And then maybe the little trades you guys like to see. Rafi, you can start this one if you want. I don't know if you have anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I have any trades I have one my head that I've thought about. I like the Yannick deal to the Ravens. That's where he wanted to go the whole time. I think just – Further bolsters a very good defense. It was a, it was a good play, good decision by the Vikings too. I think to just cut bait. I think it was like you made a bad decision. Your team's not it. I don't mind it. But my big one is Carlos Dunlap. Got the last couple of weeks got major issues with Cincy. Finally out of there. I was watching the Seahawks game that Sunday night game, and it was that was the first time I'm like, for as good as Russell is, I don't. I have them in the Super Bowl preseason. I don't think they can make a Super Bowl with this defense. Because the defense is just terrible. I know they're missing Jamal Adams, but they get no pressure on the quarterback. They had a hard time stopping the run. Um, the corners aren't great, but I like the Dunlap addition to try and um, improve that defense because they, they need to. Because they have a, a legit chance at the Super Bowl, 
and with especially that D line that they had, it, it not happening. So I, I like the Dunlap move for especially what they gave up. I was a big fan of. So I'd like I'm to actually, see one guy. I just want to point out real quick because I'd love to see AJ Green get out of Cincinnati. Yeah, I I could see it. Anyway, they don't really need it. Yeah. I don't think he's that good. Anymore. So I'm actually on the yeah. opposite side with the Yannick trade for the uh, Vikings because because I think it, it trade for him. That's great. But if and this was similar to Jalen Ramsey and the fact that when the Rams traded for him, it would look like oh they're not going to get a deal done and he's just going to walk and they gave up all this and they ended up getting one done. But why are you trading for somebody when you know that they're not going to resign? You're putting way too much. Yannick, the Yannick trade, and the, oh. the trade they got him from the Jags, and he wanted out because he wanted to get paid, rightfully so. But why are you trading for him if you can't get a deal done with him? Because then you end up in a situation where they, I will say the I don't have an issue with them getting the picks back because they got what they got and it's whatever. But why are you making the trade in the first place if you know you're not going to? If you know you can't re-sign him, or did you know? Or was it one of those where it was like, all right, we'll try to work one out, and then they were just so bad, he was like, I want to get out of here. Either way, I, it, I trading for players where you just put so much into, put so much leverage uh, into their favor just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. So that's where I was wrong. But I, I mean, great move for the Ravens. The rich get richer. Yeah, I mean, they just keep doing this. I saw, uh, I forget the tweet, but it was like the the Giants traded a first, a second, a couple fourths, and a fifth for, like, a bunch of average players. And then the Ravens have traded, like, two fifths, a sixth, and a seventh for Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, or a third and two fifths and a seventh for Yannick Ngakwe, Calais Campbell, and Marcus, Marcus Peters. Yeah, I mean, and it's like – Eric DaCosta is an Isaac Newsome disciple, and he is just arguing. It's, it's, it's unreal. It's absurd. So – as far as trades, I want to see number one on my list. Now, we talked about how bad of a situation the Texans were in. So, the first thing is I've seen some stuff that Will Fuller might get traded. Yet the Packers are looking Green at Green Bay, please. Oh, I'd, make that, I'd make that trade if I was both teams. And then second, this is going to be tough if there are any Texans fans that listen to this, but if – He's been unbelievable for the city of Houston. Oh, JJ Watt. Yeah, he should. You got to trade JJ Watt. Yeah, the Browns. I agree. Browns with that. Team. I thought I saw a tweet, and they kind of like the Browns should trade for JJ Watt. Send like off. Bro, if the Browns got JJ Watt. That'd be crazy. Look, as much as much as he's meant for that team, like you don't have any first round picks. You don't have any second round picks, and we've talked about the only way to get those backs to trade for him, and the only players you have a value are Will Fuller, who. I probably won't sign because he's injury prone. So why not trade Foreman's best year now? Uh, Deshaun Watson, but you're not, he's too good. You're not going to trade him. So then you're left with JJ Watt. And he, I would imagine if you gave him the opportunity to go win a title, I would imagine he would say yes, because I think he is, kind, I've seen some stuff that he's kind of frustrated with how bad they are. But, this might be me just dreaming, but what about him with the Steelers, with his brother? Yeah, the brother connection? Uh, that's been rumored, yeah. But, I don't. I mean, I, I think they should be doing whatever they can to shop him because of age. And by the time you fix this team, he's, he's not going to be the same player he is now. Yeah. And so, 
it just makes too much sense. I think that's the key here is when you're going against trades you either want to see or you think will happen, you have to identify those teams that you think are going to be sellers. And especially in the past five years, the NFL trade deadline has kind of picked up in its luster. Before it used to be nothing, but now you're starting to see like legitimate moves being made. My big one that I don't think will happen, but I would love to see is I think the Falcons should try and trade Julio. I think that needs to be a full rebuild. And uh, I, think, well, I think Howie Roseman and the uh, and the Eagles should trade for um, Julio Jones. I think even I don't know if the Falcons really need to completely rebuild though. You don't. I, I I don't know because they have a decent roster. Like the roster is not horrible. I just argue winning a Super Bowl. I would still consider trading him, but if you trade him, I think you should completely sell the house. You know what I mean? I think like you shouldn't should. go halfway and just. No, no. I think they should. I think they should get draft a quarterback. Um, Gurley's probably gonna be gone after this year. So give away Ryan to somebody. Yeah, I maybe think, not on the deadline. Well, I'm the Falcons. I'm going full rebuild. So my thing was Julio to the Eagles will help the Eagles and and went specifically in the current. Maybe make a playoff run. Who knows? They're pretty much locked into that spot. And especially you think so. The Eagles are going to. I would never lock the Eagles into a playoff spot. If the Eagles don't make the playoffs with this division, that is one of the sorriest things I've ever seen. I just saw here uh, another one. Teams have called Houston about Randall Cobb. So, Randall Cobb? I just said teams. It was. Uh, So, they might be selling. Who knows? They should. They should. Houston's an obvious seller even though they don't have that much to sell. Yeah. I feel bad for uh, Deshaun Watson. Like, really bad. The other one, I think, like, skill position-wise, is just get on Johnson out of Detroit, and that has nothing to do with – like, I think he's a fine player, but I just think he deserves to play. Yeah. I don't know who he would go to, but – Yeah. So that's, that's our little trade deadline discussion. Um, last week, boys, the new segment of the show – the Rafts locks of the week and Chanel's lock of the week. Chanel's yours went terrible. Yours was an embarrassment for your opening edition. It was atrocious. Raf, not not a, okay. It, it, it wasn't. I went, what, I went three, two, and one. It wasn't what the people, but obviously it was in a parlay. But it wasn't you, what the people expected yeah. from you. So now, without further ado, I mean, I'm expect people. The Rafts locks great, of the week, the greatest for you. So I, I would like to say that I made the the pit one on the assumption that their starting quarterback was going to play. And he was ruled questionable all week. And then before the game, they ruled him out. And then they put in a like a guy that looked like a Flacco brother that never made it. So well, I would like to say that's where I went wrong. You put the asterisk that if starting quarterback plays, then you made us look bad as a show. Yeah, we were running low on time, so. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we, we were rushed to make those picks, and we didn't have them prepared. All right, let me hear you guys. I mean, that's a lie. Me. I did have them prepared, but I don't have so them prepared. Is- this is my – so this week I'm not going to give the people six locks because even the greatest gamblers like myself, that's, that's tough to do. I'm just going to give you guys one lock this week. My biggest lock of the week is going to be the Thursday night game, Carolina minus two and a half. I don't understand how you could possibly not take that because Carolina is such a well-coached team and they're facing – like it's just two polar opposites, Atlanta versus Carolina. Like I'm just putting money on coaching. Two and a half. Lock it in. To see where you put house on it. On your coaching rankings. I'm I'm gonna rate Matt Rule very high. I think he's a sensational coach. 
So you have so Panthers minus two and a half is the Rafts lock of the week. That's the absolute lock. Bet the mortgage on it. All right. I, okay. And, and Chanel. Right, well, we don't have mortgages. I'll, I just mean for the. I'm not gonna give you one because I'm. I'll do three, but because I feel like three is a good number. So I don't have this prepared. So I'm looking through and just right off of first sight, I'm gonna say. 425 Saints minus four and a half against the Bears. I don't think the Bears are good. Uh, I just want to point out that's also in my parlay. That's a great pick, Chanel. Um, so that's one. And we got a lot of close games here. Tennessee, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Tennessee minus five and a half against Cincinnati. And I'll take. Do I want it? Do I want to take the Jets? That's such a big number. Now nah, we'll stay away. Uh, then give me the Chargers minus three and a half. We'll ride Herbert. That is going to do it for this week's edition of. I will say I'm not going to take it, but that Jets number nineteen is a lot of points. The and I could just, I, I could just see Kansas City benching everybody. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> um, yeah, fair. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the practice squad. Thank you to all who are listening. And uh, we might surprise you guys with a little special episode later this week uh, with our, our special of the coaches rankings. Maybe that comes next week, regardless. Um, we'll be here next week for sure to discuss uh, everything that happened in the NFL this upcoming weekend and a recap of the trade deadline. So until then, um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, for myself, Matthew Chanone, and Rafi Safdie, we'll see you guys next week.